The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Uh, I can't remember specifically, but in terms of in terms of responding, I guess my question is: How, how is it as a church do we do we respond? Do we respond corporately so that we sort of strategically and in an organized way? lobby the government, or do we respond uh, individually, as individual citizens of the kingdom, by um, by the way we live, by living in a heterosexual relationship, by maintaining that marriage, um, by writing letters individually to our MPs, or by becoming an MP, or by becoming a trustee. So in, as we respond as a church, is it more of an organized cor- corporate response, or is it an individual uh, yeah. response as citizens? Good answer. Uh, both. Uh, I think um, I think the first thing that's important to say uh, is that when we when we talk about the kingdom of God and we talk about culture, many people immediately get the idea that the objective we we must be speaking about then is the seizing of the apparatus of the state to impose a Christian perspective on reality which would just be to use statist means to achieve a completely, a, a slightly different end. And whereas Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, it may, it's one of the smallest seeds of the garden uh, in the, uh, whatever, the, the uh, plant kingdom, and yet it grows into one of the largest in the garden, right? Uh, or he says it's like uh, leaven that leavens the whole loaf, a small bit of yeast, and then the whole loaf rises. And so <clears throat> the most important thing, I think, is to recognize that the God's means of transformation is not revolution, it's regeneration. And then the cultivation of a Christian uh, life and worldview in every area of life, which means beginning with the individual, you begin with yourself, uh, that we say to ourselves, okay, how am I as an individual, as a Christian, not living in conformity with the word of God in my life? Which areas have I not brought into subjection? Uh, so my, my personal Christian walk. And then as a family, uh, how are we as a Christian family in our marriages with our children? How are we or are we not aligning ourselves with the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the education of our children, in the uh, way in which we're modeling uh, married life to uh, our families, our children, our extended families, our churches, and so forth, our community. And then we, in these concentric circles, move out and say, okay, now the, the, there's the institution, the three institutions, the family, the church, and the state. The state is just a differentiated public. The church has a number of obligations laid upon it in Scripture that have been applied. The family does some. The church and the family do some together. So they, they've historically partnered for Christian education. So if we really want to do something immediate tonight, what we're saying is the most useful thing that could be immediately done beyond saying, where is my life not submitted to Christ's lordship, is to say, how can we come together to educate and cultivate the minds of the young in the faith? So what, what are we doing at Westminster? Well, we're starting a classical Christian school. It launches the, uh, next September. Yeah. We've just uh, interviewed our principal. We're spending uh, money that we believe in the Lord for on renovation of a building. Um, 
and uh, we are, are going ahead with the launch of a, of a school. There's going to be an incredible quality of education for our children. Yeah, and my kids are the guinea pigs. I'm not saying, I'm the egg and bacon in this. Uh, I'm the bacon, not the egg in this project, uh, as is Scott's children. As we, our children will be in this school. So <clears throat> we, we move on to those areas, the things that we can immediately do. What else can we do? We can say, well, the, ch the Church of the Living God is responsible for, in terms of Scripture, um, health and welfare. So all the hospitals and all the health provision and all the welfare provision, there was, there was no such thing as state welfare in, for 19 centuries in the history of Christendom. The church did welfare. We provided welfare through the tithe. So if we don't tithe and give, which is God's tax for the kingdom of God, then we can't build Christian schools and we can't take charge of health and welfare in terms of God's word. And the state steps in and does it and does a poor job. Right? And rob citizens to do it. That's not God's way. And then the, the, the final circle would be then, as uh, the leaven moves out, grows, as this new way of life is cultivated, well, the more people that are impacted by the gospel and the atonement, that changes the face of a social order, the society. And then the society says, as they are saying in Africa, which is being progressively impacted by the gospel, we want Christian laws. And they demand then of their differentiated public themselves, represented in the public sphere, they demand righteous laws. And of course, the pontificating West goes over to Kenya or Uganda and says, no, you need to accept queer theory. Right? Obama goes over there and tells them that and they've, we've been criticized for Christian imperialism, especially the British. Right over the years, and what do we do now? We say, no, we're going to have, as Scott was saying, we're going to impose this, not just on this social order, we're going to impose it on Africa and Asia and Latin America, everywhere else, on pain of us pulling your uh, funding. We'd stop loaning you money. We'll take away aid. They threaten the African countries with this. But those countries, those, because in some of these African countries, you've got 40% of the people professing the Christian faith, what kind of laws do you think they want? That's how it works. Now, that does not mean we should not take, be responsible citizens and write letters to our MP as concerned citizens, uh, get onto school boards, become an MP. Now, the challenge for anybody becoming an MP today is how do you get voted in without being popular? And how do you get popular without denying the faith? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the fundamental challenge for anybody getting involved in the public sphere. We had an old saying in England, I don't know whether we have it here in Canada, uh, you don't shut the, the gate after the horse is bolted. And right now the horse is about 30 furlongs away and some people are shutting the gate saying, oh, maybe I should write a letter to my MP on this queer thing. You know, well, maybe 50 years ago that would have been quite helpful. But right now, well, the framer of the curriculum for Ontario has just been arrested for making child pornography. These are the people that are writing the curriculum for your children. So, <clears throat> yeah. So the situation we're in now is we have to create a parallel public, as Scott was saying, in every, that will leaven the whole loaf. It's not about seizing government power. Often people have thought, well, if we can just get a Christian prime minister or a Christian president, oh, everything will be fine. 
And then when we get somebody who professes Christianity into the role of prime minister, he's not even prepared to discuss the issue of abortion. The pogrom of our age, which is a pagan concept, by the way, it was widely practiced in the Greco-Roman world. That's because of the issue of the definition of life. So it is leaven. So actually, we start in these, with these concentric circles moving out. It's both and, and we do what all we have to be is obedient. God does the rest. We're not responsible for the results. What we're responsible for is to obey God now and leave the results to him. And those results, he tells us, will be glorious. So we just have to be faithful in the small things. And when we're faithful with the small, he'll give us responsibility with the great. So if we can be responsible in the family, then there might be an Oliver Cromwell amongst us in a couple of generations from now to be made responsible with the great. Or a a John Adams or whoever you want to pick from the... Christian history. Um, so I, I'm hoping this is an answer to your question. Is that it's not that we shouldn't uh, write letters and lobby, but that isn't the answer. That, that's a small part of how we can show solidarity with Christians. What we need to do is build from the ground up again, because that's where we are. We are missionaries. I said this to a, a group of Baptists in Vancouver the other week. I said, what do we do when we send our missionaries overseas that we're so proud of? We send them to East Timor or Timbuktu. It's a real place. And, uh, and when they get there, what do they do? They preach the gospel. They start schools. And they provide welfare. And here we are in the middle now of a pagan context where we're in a de-Christianized culture. And we just send our kids to pagan schools. And we allow the state to provide. And we don't do the things here that we do on the mission field overseas. How does that What kind of a logic is that? It's because we're accustomed to thinking, well, we're Christian, so we don't need that. But they do because they're not. So we have to apply the things here because we're in the middle of the mission. Do you want to add to that? What what could I add? (laughs) Other than that the state school system isn't failing, it's succeeding. It's doing what it's set out to do. How'd you like that? here in Canada when we hear what you've presented to us and we recognize the, the challenge that that presents to the to churches and believers personally um, you see down the road, you see glimmers of light and uh, something that you could share with us that gives us a sense that God's going to step into this scene and he's going to turn some things on their heads. Some of the direction of the people that are leading us astray, leading uh, unthinking people astray, and in some cases believers astray. Uh, Will God turn that? Will you, you see hope? Do you see glimmers of hope? Some sense of revival? that could come to this country and turn that around. <laughs> um, I do, and I think I'd, uh, without blowing our own trumpet, it was here this evening. Whenever the word is faithfully taught, uh, we hear God's voice speak, and where God's voice is spoken and heard, there's power, and there's power to transform cultures, and we've seen that's the history of Christianity. So I do think that, first of all, I see signs of that, and uh, I hope that you not only heard but saw signs of it this evening, 
is that hearing comes through the ear, but uh, obedience through. We're going to conform our lives to that from now on. I think I see it. I do see signs, but I also, in terms of my theological commitments, I don't see the uh, the Christian kingdom as one of the great defeat. Because when Jesus conquered sin and death, he did so fully and finally. It can't be undone. It can't be watered down. He's going to put all of his enemies under his feet. That's his word that says that. We've seen the evidence of two millennia of history that has proved that. What we lack in our day is the courage of conviction and, as Joe said, the obedience to do that. Whenever it happens, you see fruitfulness. So I see it wherever um, I hear that being declared, and I hear people declaring that. Not enough, but that's partly what we're here to equip uh, people to do. Joe? Yeah, I think my initial response to that is I wonder how much uh, hope 120 people in the upper room had in waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, a persecuted tiny group of people. There's got to be, what, 120 or 30 people in this room maybe, maybe somewhere in that region. Well, do you think that they thought within 300 years the entire Roman Empire would be propagating the faith? That it would sweep through North Africa, into China, through Europe, and conquer paganism everywhere it went? No way. They, they, they could not have conceived of that at that point. But Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Therefore, you go and disciple the nations, teach them everything I've commanded you, and I am with you to the end of the age. Now, that's hope. This is the victory that overcomes the world. St. John says, even our faith. So wherever there is obedience, there is hope and victory. And I absolutely believe that. I believe that we're seeing it in Latin America, we're see- fallibly. We're seeing it in Africa, fallibly. We're seeing the African church today correcting the Church of England globally, starting their own alternative Lambeth so that the evangelicals in Europe can have faithful bishops. They're all African. So the African world is com- and the Asian world are coming back as missionaries to us to correct and discipline their parents in the faith who brought them the gospel 100 years ago, 150 years ago through Presbyterian missions and so forth. They're coming to us to correct us because the privileges of the kingdom of God have nothing to do with your blood, your heredity, or the country you're born in. As Scott said, it's about covenant faithfulness. If we abandon the covenant, the covenant, God's word says, Paul tells us, he says, if the natural branches were broken off, Romans 11, uh, and you will say, well, they were broken off to make room for us. He says, yes, they were. But if God didn't spare them, do you think he's going to spare you? Every tree which does not bear fruit, the, Jesus says, uh, John the Baptist says, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. If it doesn't bear fruit, it will be cut down, thrown into the fire. We do not have any God-ordained right to a Christian culture because we're Canadian or because we're English or because we're American. If we abandon the gospel that gave to us these privileges, we'll lose them. So the hope is in the fact that any people obedient, uh, and we see it all over the world today, it's fantastic signs in the Middle East. If you could get a glimpse of what's going on in Iran that's never reported in the media, the way God is working through the power of the gospel in these nations, 
There is great hope still for this country that God can turn it around, but it will take covenant faithfulness from his people and obedience from his people. And he who goes out with the seed to sow weeping shall come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And that's the promise of scripture. Any other questions? Yes, sir. It's not a question, but as I listen to you, Joel, I'm reminded of my Methodist heritage. In the year 1713, the British gained complete monopoly of the world slave trade. I believe it was at the Treaty of Vienna. Mm By 1813, I believe the Treaty of Ghent, British policy had changed, and British diplomacy had changed. I've often asked myself, in not 100 years, what was it that made the difference? Yeah. And we come back to the preaching of the Evangelical Anglicans, of the Baptists, and more widely of the Wesley Brothers. Mm-hmm. Not only with their preaching, but with their hymnody and praise that stirred the soul <coughs> and brought about great change. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your contribution tonight. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. If you didn't know what that was a reference to, that's a reference to the 18th century in England was what is called the Great Awakening. And uh, the Great Awakening with people like John Wesley and George Whitfield in the United States, people like Jonathan Edwards brought about massive revival of the Christian faith. It was a revival of Puritanism, and it brought about massive, incredible, seismic social change. And in fact, we today are still living off the banked wealth, spiritual wealth, financial wealth, even in the starting of the charities and institutions, uh, that they, by their faithfulness, invested. The problem is we've reached a point where we've spent it. And if there is no reinvestment in the gospel and in these things, in faithfulness, uh, it will take other nations to come here to revive the church here. So um, thank you for reminding us about the Christian sacrifices of worship, thanksgiving, and actually giving to God every aspect of our lives. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.